Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi. Fourth-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. DM Wen. Hi, DM. Hi. And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Happy March, Dr. Parks. <laughs> All right, that rhymes. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, we've thought about things like the rise in suicidal thinking, um, depression that happens from poor social contact, contact because of the pandemic. And so we decided to have a show on self-compassion. It does happen to be a kind of hot topic in psychology. It's been for the last few years. And we are lucky to have our very own UCR Counseling and Psychological Services intern, Brian Balvaneda. Brian, thank you for joining us. <laughs> did, I, did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. Brian's a PhD candidate in, in a clinical psychology program at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. His dissertation examines the interpersonal effects of building self-compassion. He's originally from San Diego, and he's currently finishing up his internship at UC Riverside. Well, uh, could you, maybe could you get started just by talking about just a, a standard definition of self-compassion. What is self-compassion specifically? Uh, I'd say it's an attitude of kindness and care for yourself, toward yourself. That's about how I put it. And what, as far as like findings is in the in the literature, why is this a good thing? What does it help with? Why why should people be compassionate with themselves? I'll get to that. Why I'm asking that question in a bit because it seems obvious, but I'll get to that in a second. But why why is it important? What what have we found in the literature in research? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you, you hit it right on the head there at the end where, you know, we all uh, suffer at times from low self-compassion and, and, you know, particularly in the context of clinical disorders, depression, anxiety disorders specifically, and across a, a wide range of, of really clinical issues, um, people suffer from low self-compassion. But building um, positive self-compassion helps. Uh, one of the main things I think about it is it's a more stable concept than its counterpart, which is self-esteem. Um, so whereas self-esteem, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, tends to be a little bit more based on an external evaluation of the self. I am good at this, I am liked, you know, I am, you know, I do well in this. And in some cases in the more problematic areas, I'm better than average and the need to be, you know, higher, the top, those kinds of things. Um, it can really be based on things like performance, tests, scores, um, you know, an, an understanding of self and context of others. And self-compassion really doesn't require any of that. It's uh, more of a stable internal concept. You are worthy of being loved by the mere fact that you are human. And that really is a, is a powerful concept that goes a long way. So that is uh, how I describe then where all the Benefits then come in terms of its stability for the self-concept, our ability to manage, you know, and react to difficult moments in our lives, react to failure, react to our own weaknesses, and still find the attitude towards ourselves, the care in ourselves to keep going, to move forward, to value ourselves and, and to love ourselves. 
Yeah, and because it's more of a, a self-directed, self-guided, self-controlled almost kind of trait or attribute or skill, you can specifically develop it. Is, is that right? Like there, there's actual programs that you can develop and engage in where you can increase this. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good clarification in that the sort of direction that I come from is this program of mindful self-compassion. So as you mentioned, it's a more popular topic alongside the, the growing um, and really now popular concept of mindfulness, of which self-compassion is closely related, but um, and, and is a component of self-compassion, a, a sense of mindfulness. Um, so really, there are ways to build it, uh, ways to think of yourself, ways to change your thinking, ways to practice uh, caring and self-kindness for yourself, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, so there are definitely ways to build it um, in the similar way that you would build, you know, self-esteem, that you find ways to have a, a positive self-concept. So there are definitely specific interventions, specific programs, uh, ways of building self-compassion. So it's not just a, a, a trait that you're stuck with, but really an attribute that you can develop and, and grow in. You make it sound so easy, Brian, but I think it's actually yeah. like one of the harder things to accomplish because it's, it's almost like compa compassion is something we're supposed to learn innately as children, but doesn't, I don't know how it translates to adults. Um, and I, I love that you differentiated it from self-esteem because I do think, you know, self-esteem is something well, speaking personally, I feel like as I just, uh, I accomplish more, my self-esteem goes up, but my com self-compassion probably goes down <laughs> with it. Yeah, actually, I mean, people are, are in online, at least when I was reading about self-compassion, there was a common question of why is it so much more common that we see people being compassionate towards others than uh, having high levels of self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And this psychologist that I was reading about, Rami Najjar, um, he apparently feels that this is because our individualistic society actually kind of trains us to focus on more of a self-esteem aspect than self-compassion. And um, I, I also saw that in terms of like, psychological history or history of people who um, have more self or more tend to be more self-critical and self-compassionate. There's a common history of parents who are controlling, overprotective, kind of helicoptery, um, parents who are rejecting of their children. Um, and then I also saw something else talking about how you can think about this negative self-talk as kind of a bridge from growing up with verbally abusive parents uh, into an adulthood of depression and anxiety. Tosha, when, when we think about that, I think another, and I'd be curious um, what everyone thinks on this, but it's something, it's an idea I like. Um, the, uh, some older psychoanalytic authors, uh, I think they were a husband and wife couple, Snell and Gail Putney, they wrote one of my favorite books. It's called The Adjusted American. And they talk about this thing called the Mutual Admiration Society. And it, it, this is to explain kind of what we were getting at earlier or what we were talking about earlier with the um, why are, do we find it easier to be kind to others than ourselves? 
And it's this, there is this idea that it, particularly in the U S um, people have an alliance with each other that they've implicitly agreed on when they enter friendships in their preteen years and which then gets continued where they're like, okay, we're going to make this subconscious deal where I'm going to give you compliments and you're going to give me compliments. And then I'm going to believe you that I'm awesome. And you're going to believe me that you're awesome. And then they find that it's problematic because neither believes each other because both sort of implicitly knows that they're in this, they're in this mutual admiration society where they're supposed to provide mutual admiration and it creates problems. And eventually you're supposed to kind of realize that indirect self-acceptance is inferior to direct self-acceptance, which I think is kind of what we're getting at here, that we're trying to build the direct self-acceptance. Mm, yeah, that that's interesting. Um, uh, Brian, have you heard of uh, Dr. Kristen Neff's three dialectics regarding self-compassion. I was wondering what your thoughts are on this. Um, yeah. so she, she has these like three models or dialectics that she teaches to patients when working with them on self-compassion. Uh, the first dialectic or kind of, yeah, spectrum or something would be balancing self-kindness versus self-judgment. And then the second one is a sense of common humanity versus isolation. And that's something that I hadn't thought of in terms of self-compassion. Apparently some people are talking about self-compassion being kind of a, a more of a common humanity thing where you think of yourself as, you know, having flaws common to all other people, all other human beings. Um, and then the third one is mindfulness versus over-identification, which is what you were talking about, Brian, like being able to kind of balance and have a holistic perspective. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I think of it as the, the three positive components towards building positive self-compassion, more so from what I've seen is building positive self-compassion, not necessarily targeting a reduction in the negative sides that we would say, those that you described, the over-identification, opposing mindfulness, the self-judgment opposing self-kindness, and the isolation opposing common humanity. So most of the interventions that I see target building you know, mindfulness, a sense of common humanity, and then of course, a sense of, of self-kindness. But I definitely agree with you in part of my research uh, that interests me in the interpersonal context is this idea of common humanity, the ways in which we do commonly then engage when we're being self-compassionate or, or the ways in which it helps build effective self-compassion is to recognize that we're, we're like others. We have weaknesses. You know, we fail at things. We're not good at certain things. Of course, you want to recognize our strengths as well and build on, on those. But to be able to really confront our weakness and accept that as part of the human condition is something that is really, I think, critical towards building self-compassion. So it's not a dialectic. I misread that then. Um, I, I, I don't know how Neff presents it specifically. I've seen her speak and, and discuss it very often, but they are like contraposed very often, if that's the, the right term. So in a dialectic, you know, you're looking at opposing sides and finding the middle ground. Um, so not really in that full sense, but um, they are often you know, juxtaposed to one another, just to show, you know, again, how, what levels of positive self-compassion you have and what, you know, levels of negative self-compassion, so to speak, or, or lower self-compassion you hold. 
Now, Kristen Neff, she's basically one of the primary, one of the major researchers in this field. And so she's developed this assessment that I would say is the most widely used assessment of self-compassion. Would you agree with that, Brian? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so we all took it. Yes. All right, so now we're going to present. I, I, you know, I'm not going to pressure everybody. You don't, so for, don't feel free to not reveal it if you feel it's too revealing and it's too much personal stuff laid out there. Um, but we all took it, and I, you know, I, I find, you know, it's good that we followed this up with, uh, you know, because she breaks it down. So it's a scale between one and five, and so one and two point five. That's on the lower side. Um, two, uh, three point five to five is on the higher side, and anything in between is on the moderate side. But I have to say that common humanity was my lowest. I had a low mark on that, so I'm I'm lacking, in in that common humanity thing. Now I. Honestly, I knew that I was going to be high in judgment, self-judgment, but that was not the my worst attribute. I do tend to be judgy of myself, and when because that one of the questions was when things don't go well and things that you really think are important, you tend to judge yourself. Heck yeah, I do, and I I know that that's not a very good thing, but I yeah right. And so uh, I I I'm really now I'm really interested in what what I can do to help me help myself not be such a a judgy person toward myself. I want to. I want to know what other people have to say about their scores. Again, no pressure. And then also, do they feel it's a part of performance? Because I feel like it was part of my pushing myself performance kind of driven thing. But now I'm questioning it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because when we were talking, what Tosha and Brian were talking about, how you know part of obtaining self compassion is by integrating it with the world and you know other people are going through the same like struggles or they have it worse I don't know whatever whatever the theme of common humanity is for me it's almost the exact opposite I find myself comparing myself to others and then going well I suck (laughs) so that the common humanity thing doesn't really work for me (laughs) yeah I share that with you DM that was my worst field was I guess I'm not seeing that others are suffering uh equally or are failing equally and that kind of harkens back to our imposter syndrome conversations and i feel like for me it harkens back to my imposter syndrome score which i still have uh nightmares about (laughs) (laughs) i was very surprised with my score i well i'll say this when i started taking the test um i thought i was going to have a decent level of self-compassion. But then when I started going through the questions and um, noticing the theme and how I was answering these, I mean, I've never really thought of these, this as a, as a, you know, grouping of questions together. But when I started seeing the theme, I mean, I could tell that I was going to get a very, very low score. And I got a 1.83 as an overall score, which is uh, low, low, very low. That was, that was your overall score? Yeah. Why? Why do you say it like that? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I don't mean to um, uh, um, say that that is, I'm just shocked because I, I, you don't strike me as someone low on self-compassion. It just seems like you're someone who's very understanding to yourself. That's why it's, it's a little bit shocking. Yeah. But no, I, that's not the case. I guess not. Brian, you, can you came it. up. Tosha has like pretty high standards. <laughs> oh, okay. So the judginess is, 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 is rearing its head there. 
I feel like Tosha holds herself to really high standards for her kindness to others. And that's where that may be coming from. I'm actually also surprised at the, like Tosha, the lowness of that. And it, um, without going too into detail about anything, just because I want to let you talk about yourself if that's what you want to do. But it reminds me of some times when I've heard you be self-critical in times about like how you could have helped someone else more or you could have done better on something that if, if I were in the same position, it would have been like, I don't think I would have been really judging myself in it. So I, it, it, to be corny, it just sort of shows how excellent a person Tosh is. We, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psych on KUCR, and we're talking about self-compassion. Uh, perhaps this is as part of the uh, the assistance that people can receive because there uh, studies have shown that that's suicidal ideation is going up, depression is going up, anxiety is going up as we shelter in place. Is self-compassion a part of helping everyone recover and heal and become better folks? And so, Brian, we just left off that. Tosha has an incredibly low score of 1.8 out of five. That's incredibly low. I'm not shaming you, Tosha. I'm just saying right. the facts. Um, no, I'm, my, I'm, I'm going to take this home tonight and be compassionate about it. I'm giving you practice, opportunities to practice. Um, but, but Brian, tell us, we desperately need some help here as far as like, what can you do if you're too judgy so I, I was on the low end of judginess. Yeah. And also I was on the, I, my lowest score was common humanity. And, and what, what can we do on those two things? Well, how how can be, we increase our self-compassion? It's going to be a little recursive here, but having some self-compassion about being self-critical is really important. Um, recognizing that, you know, for many of us culturally in our families, you know, societally, we are built on promoting self-criticism as a way to, you know, push ourselves forward to acknowledge what we're weak at and grow and, and you know, become better. I see this, um, however, then in the way that it's problematic, it's, it's essentially the, the carrot and the stick problem, right? Do you do something good because you love yourself and you care about yourself and you have high standards that you want to uphold yourself to and you want to think about how can I take care of myself in order to improve, um, in order to move forward, acknowledge my weaknesses, or... Do I look at myself and hate that weakness part? And I, I really actually even want to get rid of it. It's bad. It's, it's a negative thing that I have versus a thing that we all have. I'm happy to admit my weaknesses, you know, in a variety of areas clinically, I, I've done so um, as a trainee. I feel like this has been helpful for me to grow and, and acknowledge and be open about the spaces where I fail, about where I hold myself back. But definitely, um, just to kind of go back to the original question, you know, understanding where self-criticism comes and, and even in that regard, giving yourself some self-compassion for having self-criticism. Because again, it, it all comes from somewhere from us and, and in many ways it's valued. And, uh, and, and it's something that people want to see. They want to see that we are, uh, what was the term that I used previously? It's like, a, like that, that religious term, uh, self-flagellation yeah people want to see self-flagellation and penance and this brings up one of the good conversations that we may have or, or talk about at one point about sort of what we tell ourselves when we're building self-compassion and what others want to see and the research hasn't really revealed a lot in that regard with regard to expressing self-compassion because you know often the people that we hurt want to see us flagellating not flagellating uh, <laughs> sorry flagellating <laughs> 
<laughs> that's, that's a, I love it. It's not a, it's not a great Brian, image. Brian, I have a question. Self-flagellation. Yeah, um, just for, as a fun aside, if yeah. the, that word, I think, if anyone who's studying biology stuff, though, there's like a little proboscis coming off bacteria that's a flagella, and it's a little like a whip. Um, anywho, so so uh, I've seen this kind of thing, and I was into it when I was uh, working as a therapist, and 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 I wonder if you guys see this. I've seen therapists and maybe psychiatrists too have this kind of humble brag thing where they want to sh- they want to be self critical because they want to show how self actualized they are, and they want to show how much reflection they've done. And then I've seen the fad change from like the new bragging isn't showing how uh, self critical you are. And, and thereby showing your insight, it's now showing how you're self-aware, but you're exactly right-sized. And then you're also showing off your self-compassion voice. We oh, talked about like the people who say like, uh, hello, anxiety or whatever, um, which I do too. And I think I use that kind of status symbol of, of showing off your internal process. What, what do you think about that? Does it annoy you? Do you do it? Do you see <laughs> people doing it? Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've seen it. I think it, there is something in me that reacts to you know very self compassionate people, and particularly then the ways in which they express compassion towards others in ways that I don't know. Sometimes feel like it's coming from a space of hmm, how would I say this? I don't know. Privilege comes to mind, but I don't feel like that fully captures captures you know that that when you're able to achieve a space where you feel so like you said self-actualized really self-compassionate you know you're not really facing problems it can sometimes feel at least for me um as as a yeah some some ways in which this person may be not really facing similar issues or uh, yeah, I feel like I know what you mean Alan like it's it what comes to mind and what come I'm thinking of like someone who's, who says, oh, I'm the worst, you know? <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, although like, that oh, feels like worst. a more basic form of, of it. The I'm the, oh my God, I'm the oh worst. God, I'm the can worst. I for a minute so we can talk about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is annoying. I think that's a good point. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I wanted to talk about something else, compassion-focused therapy of like in the research that I saw about how to treat people who are self-critical to try to increase the self-compassion. I found what you were talking about, Brian, the mindful self-compassion, which I guess is in like technically an eight week program. It's like group therapy. It involves meditation. Um, And then there's compassion focused therapy that uses exercises that are like experiential and involve imagery. Um, And what that brings to mind for me is for the meditation part. I remember hearing um, a meditation for chronic pain where some, the, the, the guide, the meditation guide would say, now think about someone, you know, who has pain right now, think about their pain and what it must feel like for them. So is that common humanity? Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Sorry. (laughs) You're in at home, keep recording, keep recording. You'll edit it out later. And then now think about other people all over the world who have pain right now. And so that, that I think is honing in on that exactly what you're saying, common humanity, um, 
including that in a meditation for this mindful self-compassion. This compassion-focused therapy, this, the techniques that they use, one example, I guess, was like doing a week where someone writes a compassionate letter to themselves every day. Um, another way of stimulating this is uh, just simply asking a question like, um, if you were, a f if, if you imagine yourself as your friend, what would your friend say to you? It just like as a role-playing way to increase self-compassion and consider it a self-compassionate response. Um, but yeah, it, those were the, those were the things that I found on how to increase self-compassion. It's so interesting yeah. hearing you talk about this, Tosha, there's a part of me that like rejects it. <laughs> it feels like it's a, it's a participation reward. Like everybody gets a part, get everybody like gets an award. Now we're talking. Like, Thank having, you, like, chronic pain or like, I, I don't know. Um, it's. Yeah, it's odd. How yeah, I, are you? Are you worried about the performance possible possible loss if you're too compassionate with yourself? I do. I think. Thank you. you. Know, criticism. I'm worried about that sometimes. too. I think yes. If your stress level is so high, then like that, you're you're too critical of yourself, and that you know that you're pushing yourself way too hard, and other symptoms are arising. Then yes, compassion is a great thing. But you know, I don't know. So DM, that's actually something that has been like, that's a real thing that uh, uh, like huge amounts of patients feel that same way. And in team CBT therapy, team being a new school of CBT therapy that David Burns is working on, they actually have like a whole part of the therapy that's meant to address that resistance where they say before they do the technique where you pretend to be your own best friend and you kind of talk to yourself about how ridiculously self-critical your thoughts are. They actually say, do you actually want to do this? What are the potential costs of you having less self-criticism? Will it make you a worse student? Will it make you a worse mother? Will it make you a worse wife? Whatever. And people have to list all of the costs of their, of getting rid of their self-criticism. And then you decide, they give you like, it's called like a virtual dial and you decide how loud do I want these self-criticisms to be? How true do I want to feel like they are? And some people realize like, you know what, actually, this is one I don't want to work on. This is fine. I, I like this self-criticism. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the the research that I was looking at, or not me, I guess I should say, I, I read this article in Current Psychiatry uh, written by Dr. Rick Warren, Dr. Neff, and another doctor. I'm sorry, I don't remember what his name is. But it's called Self-Criticism and Self-Compassion, Risk and Resilience. And it talks about how the studies, the current studies show that self-compassion enhances motivation, boosts feelings of self-worth, supports resilience, are associated is associated with lower rates of depression and anxiety, increases emotions like happiness, optimism, wisdom, curiosity, exploration, and agency. And then also self-compassionate people have been found to be more likely to try again after failing. And then it's also more highly correlated with people who start doing more healthy behaviors like quitting smoking, eating healthy or exercising. So I, I, I think that it is a common perception in public, but there are some studies that you could, you could say argue against that. Yeah. And I would, I would argue that this is pretty consistent with what we know of people's responses to things like failure. And, you know, one thing I've definitely seen in my clinical practice occurs a lot with students is this idea that I fail something 
And that in order to then protect my self-esteem, so to speak, my sense of myself, I then reject this thing that I failed at. So this math field is not something that's for me. This, um, you know, uh, the, this test was worthless. It actually means nothing. So we may devalue things in ways that prevent then re-engagement and that motivation that you're describing. So for me, that makes sense. Whereas a sense of self-compassion, okay, well, we all fail at things sometimes, or, you know, I understand that, you know, I was struggling uh, in this particular test or at this time, um, I care about myself. So let me then do something that is about caring for myself and understanding that failure is a common human experience and then move forward with that. Uh, Brian, I, I like what you're saying partly because it, it tickles me because it, I love it when when areas of truth that you heard from one field expert converge on areas of truth from another field expert. And particularly in psych, there's all these different um, schools of therapy that often disagree with each other. And so, you know, what you hear in the business world is, oh, it's better to invest in your strengths than your weaknesses that like it's, it's diminishing returns to try to correct your weaknesses versus work on your strengths. What we're hearing in psychology right now as ACT acceptance and behavior and, and commitment therapy kind of comes to the forefront is that accepting negative thoughts and moving on and doing behavioral activation, like going and going for a run, it can often be more time efficient and effective than, than correcting a bunch of negative thoughts that are going to kind of just continue to pop up. Um, and we're hearing from you that this, even though we feel like this voice we all have, that's kind of the, the coach that's yelling at us and telling us that not only that we suck, but that we need the coach and will be useless without the coach. Turns out we don't necessarily need to kill the negative coach we can just nurture a positive coach. Is that a decent take on it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I would definitely say the interventions focus on is building the compassionate voice. Um, some of them do, I think, as, as Tashi described, um, sort of address a little bit about what it's like, or I, I think actually you, Alan, sorry, we're, we're saying the team CBT address what it's like to feel criticized, what it does for us and compare and contrast. And when I've done that work, I've been often really surprised that people lean into as well the self-compassionate voice and see that as nurturing and guiding and promoting versus punishing and, and you know bringing someone down and pushing away. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we talked about self-compassion. Thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Tosha Yamaguchi, DM Wynn, and Alan Atkins, and also our special guest, Dr. Brian Balvanita. If you have comments, suggestions, or questions for the show, you can write us to it at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. And you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode is recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. <laughs>